Good morning. Uh, in your worship folder, you'll find a uh, blank note sheet, and that's included for you simply so that it, when you hear the voice of God speak to your heart, you can just write down what you hear Him say. Uh, I've discovered that you can tell a lot about a person uh, by their front door welcome mat. If you look at this first slide, you're basically just kind of your normal everyday person. Uh, the second slide is for people with a little bit more flair. Uh, this next slide is for those of you uh, who are computer techie tablet people. Next slide is for the animal lovers. We're so excited to see you, we don't know whether to pee on the floor or tear up the couch. <laughs> next slide are people with family issues. Welcome when you're here, your family. Sure, you still want in. The next slide is people with nice stuff who don't like their neighbors. The next slide, uh, some people just need to get past the 80s. Next slide is for the recluses. It says leave. It's kind of hard to see there. And uh, our final welcome mat for the morning. Uh, it, that's just plain wrong, isn't it? That is just plain wrong. You know, you get a real insight into people by how they welcome others. And so this morning, I'd like you just to take a minute and if you would just imagine a welcoming man. Okay, a, a man who is very welcoming towards you. Just, just imagine that person, what that person would look, look like. You've got it? Picture in your mind? Uh, I want you to compare that image that's in your mind with uh, this next slide. Now, if you don't know this person, the image of a welcoming man probably meshes with this picture. I mean, he's got a big smile, bright eyes, looks like somebody who would just enjoy kind of reaching out to you. But if you know who this person is, then your mental image of a welcoming person does not mesh with this individual. For this individual is Simon Cal, a celebrity judge from uh, the hit TV show American Idol. And if you've ever watched that show, you know that this individual, Simon Cal, is the absolute rudest, unwelcoming individual uh, ever? I don't know. It's pretty bad, right? So, in our text for today, Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 through 50, and if you want to follow along, there's a Bible under the seat rack in front of you. It's on page 864. But it's interesting because in our text for the day, at the center of the action is a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And as we read the story, I think it would be very appropriate for you to have Simon Cowell in mind as we consider this Pharisee. So would you read with me, beginning at verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table... And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, 
And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointing them with the ointment. Now, I'd like to just pause for a minute because if you were here a month or so ago, uh, I preached on a text that may sound very similar. Uh, It's actually a different story. Uh, Before we were in John chapter 12, where Mary anointed Jesus with her hair and oil um, following um, the raising of uh, Lazarus from the dead. Uh, This is a different story, okay? Uh, The reason, one of the reasons we're looking at this story is because as we looked at that other story, the idea of a woman anointing a man with oil Uh, his feet, that just kind of intrigued me, and I wanted to do a little more study on that. So here we are. And can you guys hear me okay with that fan running? Am I coming through? Okay. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven." Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, for it is true and it is good and it is right. And I pray this morning as we look at it, that your Holy Spirit would so lead us that we would hear your voice, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word, and in doing so, we would be transformed into the image of Jesus. And I ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the history of this passage begins uh, earlier Uh, Back up in verse 18, where Jesus clarifies the relationship, uh, he and John the Baptist, and how each of their ministries relate uh, to God's coming kingdom. And in verses 29 and 30 uh, of our passage, of our chapter here, the author Luke makes a parenthetical statement of the people's reception of John the Baptist's ministry. He says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, 
they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John the Baptist. And so it's out of that group of Pharisees um, who have rejected John the Baptist's declaration about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's out of that group that Simon invites Jesus into his home. And so you've got a group of religious leaders rejecting Jesus, and one of them says, hey, come and eat at my house. And the obvious question is, why? Why would he do that? Uh, This is just kind of speculation on my part. It's possible that Jesus being the guest rabbi in the synagogue that weekend, uh, that it was uh, just uh, the expected thing for one of the Pharisees to have him into their home. It's possible. Maybe Simon, in hearing Jesus, uh, thought the things that he had to say were rather entertaining and wanted Jesus to come tickle his ears more. Uh, Perhaps he wanted to debate with Jesus. When we consider other encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees, it's very possible that he was looking to trap Jesus in his words. It would seem apparent that as we read through the text that there's a sense that Simon really wants to discredit Jesus. But the one thing that we can be certain of is that Simon's welcome into his home is not welcoming. Simon is not wanting to draw near to Jesus. And we see this in verses 44 through 46 where Jesus says, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Then in verse 45, you gave me no kiss. And in verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil. You see, these three things were evidences of hospitality. They were a natural part of the custom to welcome someone. Water on hot, dirty feet was uh, refreshing, allowing the guest to be able to engage the conversation more easily. Uh, Think of it as a cold splash of water on your face after a long, hot drive. Uh, A kiss in their culture was akin to our handshake or a welcoming hug of friends. Anointing a guest's uh, head with a bit of oil, that was a sign of respect. And so, by withholding these customs of hospitality, Simon is communicating to Jesus, uh, to the other guests and to the crowd who's gathered around outside, That he, Simon, is the prestigious person in the room. He is the authority. And he is going to direct his agenda for this conversation. Uh, The mood would have been rather awkward. And yet, there is no hint in the text that Jesus is bothered by any of this. Jesus has accepted Simon's invitation to dinner, and he is reclining at his table with him. And I think that there is a simple 
yet very important lesson for every follower of Jesus to capture from this setting. And it is this. Jesus is perfectly comfortable around those who want to discredit Him. Jesus is perfectly comfortable around people who want to discredit Him. Jesus does not get defensive. He does not force His authority. He doesn't even try to outmaneuver Simon in this manipulative dinner. Jesus is simply present and he's patient. Enter a woman of the city. And the mood gets a little more awkward. You see, this uninvited female sinner has entered the home of a well-off, clean-cut, morally conservative, straight-laced religious leader, and she places herself at the feet of this guest rabbi. She has taken the prominent pupil position. (laughs) She is in the front row, so to speak. And in the discriminatory culture of that day, she, a woman, should not be in the front row. Furthermore, as a known sinner who has transgressed God's law, she has placed herself in a very undeserving position. Now, the legalistic righteous requirement of that social setting was similar, I think, to the socioeconomic status of an NBA championship game. Follow me here. You have to be somebody of wealth or know somebody of wealth to sit courtside at an NBA championship game, right? And everybody else in your socioeconomic status layers yourself Uh, back up into the cheap seats, right? But this woman, as a female sinner in Simon's house, is kind of like me in my socioeconomic status going to an NBA championship game. I don't even get in the door. And I don't think she's even supposed to be there. And I think it's Simon's job as host, I think he bears responsibility to maintain decorum and a correct crowd for this gathering. And when he can't control what's happening, he blame shifts to Jesus, saying, if this man were a prophet. I mean, Simon is so full of himself that he is not going to bear any responsibility no matter what happens. Jesus will be the problem today. Jesus will be discredited today. Now, there is much speculation that people conjure about this woman and the actions she take with her hair. Some say that she's a prostitute and that she is being sexually promiscuous. Uh, That is not likely. Uh, A prostitute in such a setting 
would have been provided by the host. And this is a Pharisee dinner party, not a morally lax Greco-Roman banquet. Others say that she is an adulteress, that her action violate all sense of decorum, saying that in various parts of the ancient world, married women kept their hair up and only let it down in the presence of their husbands. So her being here and disheveling her hair would have been akin to her bearing her breasts publicly. Still others cite that women would actually dishevel their hair during intense moments of grief. And there are other citations of women unbounding their hair in acts of religious devotion. So what's going on? Well, first, all we know from the text is she is a sinner. That's, that much is plain. Secondly, uh, a professor by the name of Charles Cosgrove at Northern Seminary, he, he makes a very interesting observation. He says, Simon said to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would have known. You see, apparently the woman's public behavior is not an apparent problem. Aside from being there, she's not acting in a way that is totally unacceptable in their culture. Thus, it requires Jesus using a prophetic gift to realize that there's something wrong with her. Thirdly, we have Jesus affirming what she's done and declares in verse 48, your sins are forgiven, and then in verse 50, your faith has saved you. So Jesus is accepting of her behavior. Fourth, she comes prepared with an alabaster flask of ointment. Um, This is not just customary oil but it is ointment of value, which means that this woman comes intending to do something very special. So either she and Jesus have interacted earlier, and she has come to show her gratitude and devotion, or she comes weighed down by guilt, seeking forgiveness and acceptance, which she will receive. Either way, there is something very significant in this act of wiping Jesus' feet with her hair that that I think we need to feel this morning. You see, I, I interviewed some women from our Philida family as it relates to a woman's hair. And a woman's hair, long or short, is special. Now, now we kind of know this intuitively. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter kind of develops this intuitive uh, sense of specialness regarding women. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, 
since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, don't misunderstand the statement of weaker vessel. Uh, when you read that, you've got to think of it in the sense of special vessel. It, it ties to the fact that men are giving honor to their wives because they're special. Uh, when you read through that passage, think of it as fine china. Uh, guys tend to be um, military mess hall trays. But women are fine china. And when we bring, thank you, and when we bring, when we bring the china out, we treat it special. And there, there's a, there is a, a um, just an intuitive feeling that we have about that, and a woman's hair is related to that specialness of femininity. Um, it, it is a precious aspect of her femininity. Um, uh, in the morning, uh, women do their hair. It, they prepare it. it. It is an adornment of their beauty. Uh, let me see if I can give you some examples to bring this out. Um, Consider kids who have lice, okay? Kids who have lice. Moms and daughters uh, pick knits. Dads and sons shave their heads. <laughs> uh, another example, I was over at Thomas Jefferson interacting with an administrative friend of mine, and she had her hair back in a bun, and she was on duty, and we were talking, and I noticed there was a spider up on the top of her hair, and, and I said, I, I don't mean to freak you out, but I'm wondering, there's a spider in your hair. And she goes, yes, yes, please take it out. Please take it out. Please take it out. So I reach up, and I'm just going to snag the spider, crush it, be done with it. And as soon as I get close, it heads for the bun. And I stick my fingers into her hair, and my fingers are tracing down the back of her neck. And I'm like, you need to get this spider quick because you are not where you're supposed to be with another woman's hair, right? <laughs> Spider died, everything was okay, we're good. Final example, I was, I was trying to think of how we could feel this experience in our time together. And, and I had the, what, what I thought was a great idea to um, invite one of our women who have very long flowing hair uh, to just come up while I was preaching and anoint my feet with oil and wipe her. Uh, well, yeah, you got but, but as I thought about that idea, there was kind of a hesitation in my spirit. And I don't typically hesitate when I have a good idea. So, so I'm like, hmm, maybe I should run this one by my wife. Which I did. And she said, Mark... Don't you think that's just a little bit too intimate? Yeah, it is. It's just a little too, much, too intimate. Yet this undeserving sinful woman stoops down to Jesus' feet and with the feminine glory of her hair in a most humiliating and personal manner washes, kisses, and anoints his feet using her hair. I brought three different pictures to help us capture this, and we're just going to look at them kind of slowly, one at a time, as I continue on. But once again, the awkwardness of the room has shifted. And Jesus doesn't miss a beat. 
He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Verse 40. And he tells the parable of the two debtors. And Simon sees the right answer in the parable, but he has no understanding that Jesus is explaining the smallness of his own heart toward God. And then the arrogance of Simon's assumptions get turned on their head. Simon had discredited Jesus in his own heart by saying, if this man were a prophet, he would have known. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus does know. Jesus knows this woman, past, present, future. And Jesus knows you. And aren't you glad that this woman's sin is not stated? Because if it were, then we would box the story in around her specific sin and we would declare self-righteously that only that kind of sinner need welcome Jesus in this manner. Jesus knows your sin. And it is not too much to keep you from Jesus. In fact, Jesus would be delighted if your sin actually drove you to Jesus. Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. The arrogance, the manipulation, the discrediting. Jesus knows and He has it all under control. Do you ever find yourself in situations or relationships where you feel you're being run over and you don't know what to do? Jesus knows, and He has it all under control. Jesus knows the motivations of our heart and our mind. He can correct us plainly when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And He will welcome our worship of Him no matter how uncouth it may come off. Jesus knows. He knows. He is the prophet Simon's hard heart couldn't imagine. But he is so very much more than just a prophet. For Jesus, in his intimate knowledge of you, can do for you something no one else could ever do. Jesus can forgive you. Because He died on a cross, receiving God's judgment you deserve so that you never have to receive it. And so the question is, as you look at this next slide, 
What welcome mat will you put out for Jesus? Welcome or leave? How will you welcome Jesus? Will you keep Him at arm's length? Because you've already made up your mind and you are determined to be right? Or will you come humbly, intimately exposing your soul with all its failings to Jesus, the one who knows you and would delight to say, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Today, if you would like to welcome Jesus into your life, there is a connect card in your worship folder, and I would invite you as an act of faith saying, I welcome Jesus into my life, to simply circle, I made a decision for Christ today. And as you circle that, I would like to just take time and lead you in a simple prayer of welcoming Jesus into your life. So would you all bow your heads and pray with me? Prayer is an amazing, mysterious thing. The Bible says that God knows our thoughts. And so at any time, we can pause and direct our thoughts to God, and He hears them like you and I hear one another having a conversation. And if today you realize that you want to welcome Jesus into your life so that He would forgive you of your sin, then I would simply invite you to tell Him that. Just say to him, Jesus, today I welcome you into my life. Today I realize that my life is full of sin. And if there are some specific sins that come to your mind, I would invite you to just say, Jesus, I am sorry, and list it. I'm sorry for my anger problem. I'm sorry for my idolatry. I'm sorry for my lust. I'm sorry for my adultery. And then just say thank you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place so I don't have to. Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead and conquering death and ascending into heaven and preparing a future for me to be with you forever. Thank you. Jesus, today I surrender my life. Today I welcome you to be the leader of my life. Amen.